Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. The Big Bark Listen Up Dog Owners is for you, all you canine lovers. It's your favorite podcast, The Big Bark, with your host, Dara Burke, and canine co-hosts, Bruno and Millie. The Big Bark. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Big Bark, the show where we are crazy about dogs everywhere. I'm your host, Dara Burke. And join me, as always, on my canine co-hosts, Bruno and Millie. I have to say it's been absolutely hectic the last few weeks with all the new episodes that we've had out. And I think last week was one of some of our fans' favourite episodes so far. We got amazing feedback from that episode, and that was Rochelle Mattis from Fetchadate, who joined us all the way from Indiana last week. And this week, we're back stateside again, and we're absolutely thrilled right now to be joined by the co-founder of School for the Dogs in New York, Annie Grossman. Annie, a huge welcome to the Big Bark and thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I love that your last name and your podcast sound the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they, they do actually, I never talked about that before. So Annie, <laughs> start off, give us a bit of background on School for the Dogs. Hi. Um, so yeah, I uh, started School for the Dogs in 2011. I had been a journalist for about a decade before that and um, realized I, I wanted to do something else with my life and kind of on a whim um, went to the Karen Pryor Academy thinking, you know, oh, dog training sounds like a fun career. Uh, and it really revolutionized my life. Um, so I graduated there in, in 2010, and in 2011, I, I ended up uh, meeting actually a, a neighbor, a woman who lived across the street from me, who was sort of in a similar position of trying to figure out how to transition from a previous career to a career in dog training, and we joined for forces. Uh, her name is Kate Sinisi. And um, for whatever reason, I, I got it in my head that we really had to have a classroom in New York City. Most dog trainers either operate out of clients' homes or out of like dog daycares or sort of places that they rent by the hour. But I was really hung up on the idea that we needed like a fixed space so that we could really control our environments to set our students up for success. So we converted my living room uh to a dog training center and um operated out of that for uh for several years <clears throat> and uh uh then graduated eventually to um, a storefront location which is where we're located now we teach classes we teach private lessons um, and we're also working virtually now um, teaching people uh, both in real time and with like on-demand sessions um, but yeah you know um, it, we didn't set out to to start the kind of uh, big small business that we have we just thought you know hey we want to train dogs no one's doing it the way we want to do it so let's just do it ourselves and um 10 years later um, we have like 10 trainers working for us in this you know uh rather for new york standards large two-story storefront facility um it's grown it's really grown like above and beyond anything either of us ever imagined 
So Annie, just for a second, you mentioned like you were a journalist and you wanted to change a career. So what was it exactly that made you choose wanting to be a dog trainer? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'd always loved dogs. Um, I, I joke that, you know, so many people in their bios when they work with dogs, they're, they're like, you know, Jessica grew up with dogs and always loved dogs. So it feels like a cliche thing to say, but, but I really did always love dogs. I always felt very, um, I, think, I think I had a lot of empathy with dogs and um, I got my own dog in 2005. Um, Right, actually, when I, I had been in office jobs and I went freelance at that point and uh, uh, just sort of fell in love with my dog and didn't really know very much train about training, but I felt like it was something I was interested in learning more about, not because I had problems at all with my dogs, not with my dog, but really because I thought like it was a fun way to spend time with dogs. And um, I remember I remember during the sort of period of a couple of months where I was really meditating on like, okay, what can I do with my life at this point? I was I was about 30 years old. I sort of had this successful career and I was like, how do how do I figure out this new thing? And I I would make lists. I remember and I would go to the dog park with my dog with a piece of paper and a pen and like make lists of things I like to do because I'm the kind of person where if I'm really not into it, if I'm not engaged in something I'm doing for work, I just kind of tend to check out, <laughs> um, which does not make for a very good employee. Um, so I thought, you know, uh, you know, what what would keep my interest? And I kept coming back to dogs and kind of looking around the dog park and thinking, you know, I would really love a job where I could watch dogs, read about dogs, hang out with dogs, spend time with my dog, and talk to people about their dogs because that was sort of for me part of what I enjoyed about the dog park was like having conversations with people on on this uh, you know subject that that interested me um, and uh, I mean sometimes I look around at, at, at you know school for the dogs today where we have we actually have one that we run ourselves uh, and I think oh my gosh I really I really, I really figured out how to set things up <laughs> for, for, for a career that suits me because that's basically what I do these days is, you know, I hang, hang out with dogs, learn about dogs, talk to people about their dogs and watch dogs and, um, and uh, it's pretty great. And you know, it, it, it is something about like dog owners, they just, whatever about like, just loving to talk to other people, they love to talk to other people about their dogs. Um. You know, I, I think it, dogs are endlessly fascinating. You know, they, on the one hand, they have evolved to live with us or around us uh, and to take on a lot of, um, you know, some, a lot, some of the even physical traits of, of children, right? When you think about breeds, for example, that are popular, a lot of them have these kind of... Um, infant-like proportions the big eyes the even like the flat faces uh round faces um and yet you know so so it's it's easy to kind of see them as like you know as these sort of fuzzy children that that live with us and yet they're completely different species with different needs um and and ways of communicating that have nothing to do really with language um, that that we all you know rely on so heavily um, so I, I think I think people if people like talk talk about their dogs it's because on the one hand they 
they love them like children and on the other hand they're um you know they're so wildly different different from us um and i think part of what really ended up appealing to me about the world of dog training was um how little of it is about language you know having been a journalist and you know writing all the time and trying to you know craft sentences and convey ideas that way um i think i actually liked that uh the the dog training that i was learning about really was you know something that you could do without hardly ever uh using words at all and um it's kind of it's kind of beautiful in that way um but you know something else that really uh, appealed to me about the whole world of dog training you know the, these days i i spend most of my time um running the business and uh and i have a podcast about dog training called school for the dogs podcast and, and i i write a lot about dog training and, and i love doing that kind of stuff because um you know early on i kind of looked around I remember going to the Association for Professional Dog Trainers annual conference and looking around at all these um, just incredibly interesting people who were there and thinking um, there, there are not enough people in my world, you know, in my like New York City highfalutin media circles or whatever who who know about this, who know about um, what all of these incredible people are doing with dogs and, and um, you know, all of these people who you know, are studying animal behavior. Um, I'm not sure uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, like flow, I guess. I wasn't sure there was a lot of flow sort of from that world to like the more mainstream world. Usually dog training was, in, you know, in my experience, something people only thought about briefly, maybe when they got a puppy and then not until maybe they had like a problem. But um, there's so much so much there that's interesting, exciting, fun. Um, and, uh, so early on, I thought, you know, I think ultimately I would like to use my background in, you know, communication, um, through, through writing, creating content, however you want to call it, um, to help more people see how wonderful, um, this whole world is. And, um, and I, and I think there are you know, fortunately, I think there are a lot more people today than 10 years ago who see dog training as a legitimate hobby and who see, um, you know, behavioral science as something that we can uh, work to understand in order to help train our dogs rather than just some sort of pseudoscience that's like, you know, one, one way of seeing things. Um, so it's exciting to me to see dog training and dog training the way I think dogs should be trained to enter the mainstream a little bit more um, as like a, a really exciting hobby because you know it's it's funny to me how like horses like you can be you can be passionate about horses and that's sort of a hobby people understand and you know even respect um, but at least in a lot of circles I think if your hobby is is dog training at least in in you know new york city where people you know generally speaking aren't you know doing obedience trials or agility like they're just doing stuff in their living rooms with their dogs because they live in small spaces and have super busy schedules but you know i know plenty at this point of doctors and lawyers and hedge fund managers who you know come home from work 
and uh, do dog training um, with their dogs in their homes and, uh, you know, really as a hobby. And I, I think it's cool that um, more and more people are doing that. And, and I think it's becoming more understood as, as a real hobby, you know, on, on the same level as, say, horseback riding. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think it's definitely something it's even more, even over the side of the Atlantic. It's um, people are doing a lot of training in the evenings when they come home from work with their dogs. It's something I've seen myself from even talking to other trainers here in Ireland. But let's go back to New York there. And what we specifically want to talk about, I think, today is especially about urban living with a dog. Now, mm-hmm. for for me, like over here in Ireland, one thing I've noticed is for a lot of letting agencies and landlords here in Ireland, they don't want to have dogs in rental mm-hmm. accommodation. And is that something that you come up against in the States as well? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've even talked to people who are professional dog resume writers who will, uh, you know, try and package your dog in, <laughs> in an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper to try and, you know, uh, make your dog a good candidate. Um, I, I mean, I wonder if maybe that's changing just because in New York City, for example, and, and I think in a lot of major cities, um, there have been so many vacancies in the last year as people have moved out to the suburbs in the country, um, which has made landlords more um, interested, perhaps, in in accepting people with dogs. Whereas, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of get it. Like, if I if I owned properties and could pick whoever I wanted, I would probably prefer to not have pets because you know it's like there's a unknown. Uh, there are a lot of unknown variables there. Um, uh of course i think what's funny is that at at least in my experience of apartments cats really can do a lot more damage to an apartment than than a dog can um you know what's a shame in in my opinion uh is that there really is no standard for um for dog training. I mean, there's like the canine good citizen test run by um, the AKC, which is something that we will um, have people prepare for and test them for at school for the dogs. I'm not sure if that's like international or if that's just in the States. So that's some sort of kind of like badge that you can achieve that you can, you know, say to a landlord, hey, my dog has, you know, um, is a canine good citizen. But um, ultimately, I think it would be really nice if there were some sort of standard that um, a dog and a person had to um, achieve some or some sort of, you know, badge, for lack of a better word, that they could show, um, that they could use to show that uh, they are committed to training their dogs, committed to addressing problems, that their dog has maybe has no known behavioral issues. Um, because you know, if you it's, it, you you might have the same dog with two different tenants, the dog who is barking his head off all the time, and you have one tenant who you know just thinks I'm just gonna let the dog cry it out, bark it out, no big deal. And you have another tenant who's committed to working with the dog, hiring a trainer, reading the books, doing the work. Um, and so, in those two cases, it, it has nothing to do with the dog; it has to do with the person who's with the dog if that makes sense um you know same thing with flying like there or you know bringing a dog to a restaurant or whatever like there's so many dogs out there that um you know will be 
a certain dog with one kind of person and a certain dog with another kind of person, um, thanks to uh, the training that is going into into it. And um, it would be it would be great, I think. Um, I mean, I know some people working on this with flying, for example, it would be really great if you had a dog who was like a certified flyer <laughs> who has demonstrated, you know, the ability to to sit at someone's feet for a long period of time or to, you know, go on a wee wee pad, you know, in the airport if necessary, um, rather than, um, you know, sort of the opaque rules that are that currently exist around around flying uh, or going into public places. Um, which uh, may or may not be, you know, be um, looked at in kind of a, a fuzzy way, depending on, on who's, who's judging the dog and who the person is with the dog. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose, like, when you look at, like, city apartments in, in general, they're a lot smaller than what you'd have in, out in the countryside, for example. So would you see, like, specific breeds that live in urban areas or would you would it be a mix of breeds? Oh, um, you know, we have. I have to say, we have a lot of poodle mixes and a lot of French bulldogs who come to school for the dogs, um, and a lot of rescue dogs who, you know, um, are you know mystery mutts, usually usually smaller in size, um, but we've had all different kinds of sizes of dogs, and. Uh, um, you know, it's funny, I kind of bristle when people refer to designer dogs because, uh, you know, all man-made breeds started out as someone's idea of, um, hey, let's mix this breed and that breed to try and uh, achieve, you know, X, Y, or Z physical or uh, behavioral qualities. Um, and, I mean, it's not like that was happening so 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 long ago with most of the breeds we know it's really in the last like century century and a half um so uh and a lot of those breeds were created to um be dogs that could um excel in the environments we were putting them in um and i think part of the reason that uh you know doodles that poodle poodle mixes are so popular right now you know you're Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, Yorkie Poos, Cavapoos, the, the, the dudes and the poos, <laughs> um, are because they, they um, generally speaking, are really good apartment dogs. They, they don't shed. Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. They are often very smart. They're often um, small enough that they can be put in a bag and brought on the subway um, if you want to bring the dog to work. Um, you know, certainly they're cuddly and sweet and cute. Um, uh, and um, so I think in that way, they do make good apartment dogs. French bulldogs are, you know, they, they have some of those uh, infantile qualities that I was talking about, you know, the big faces, the big eyes, um, the, the smushed noses that make them kind of look like uh, replacement <laughs> replacement babies. But, you know, they're also dogs that generally 
don't need a huge amount of exercise, um, which uh, is you know a good thing if you live on the 20th floor of an apartment building. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, we certainly have clients who have um, border collies and you know sight hounds uh, and dogs who do need um, a lot more uh, both physical and mental enrichment. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think we have a certain kind of like self-selecting client at School for the Dogs, um, people who are going the extra mile to uh, give their dogs what they need, even if, if what they need um, is, uh, you know, um, not necessarily obvious, uh, an, an obviously easy thing to um, provide in New York City, but you know, I have clients who wake up every morning to bring their dog to the off-leash hours in Central Park um, before they go to work every day or, um, you know, go running with their dogs. Our dog, we actually have started sending her hiking once a week um, because we felt like we were not providing her. Uh, she's a young dog. She's like a sort of chihuahua pit mix with a lot of other things thrown in there. And we just felt like we weren't getting her enough um, of the cardiovascular activity that she needed um, during the week. So she goes, she goes with a group of dogs um, out into the woods once a week. So people really do get creative about, um, I think, how they, how they provide dogs uh, with what they need. Okay, that's very good. And I suppose, like, that's important. Like I said, that's very important for our mental stimulation as well, because obviously it can be fairly hard to mentally stimulate a dog in a small apartment if, say, both partners are working from an office every day of the week. So like, that's obviously fairly hard. Um, Annie, one thing I'd love to ask you is, like, big cities can be, like, even for children as well, big cities can be very, very scary places, and especially for dogs. What tips can you offer dog owners who have, say, for example, previously lived in the country, which you'd, you'd see where a lot of, I suppose people in their like maybe twenties or thirties who are now moving into the city, haven't lived in the countryside or in suburban areas when they were younger, and now want to like bring their dog with you. How do you adjust the dog to living in a big city after having so much freedom in the countryside? Yeah, you know it's really hard, and and unfortunately, I think some dogs, uh, you know, we we call it um, some dogs really develop suburban dog syndrome when they've lived in relatively sheltered areas and uh, didn't get the proper socialization at a young age to help them uh, acclimate to um, the sights, the sounds of city living. And we certainly have a lot of dog owners who are um, who are dealing with that, you know, now, especially people who got dogs um, while they were taking a hiatus from the city, maybe in the last year, you know, a lot of people in New York City took advantage of the ability to work from home to get out of the city for a while and got dogs and um, now are coming back to New York City, which they're familiar with, but their dogs sure aren't. <laughs> and uh, and they're coming to us both because um, you know, they're now having to leave their dogs home a lot more and their dogs were used to having them around 24 seven. Um, but also because their dogs are unaccustomed to walking down the city streets. 
uh, which in New York City, you know, you might see 10 other dogs out on the walk as you go around the block and they're all going to be, you know, they, they might be two, three, four feet away from you. Um, so we actually, we have a class called Sidewalk Psychos um, where we uh, work very specifically on teaching dogs to be able to pass by other dogs on the street. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think fortunately, you know, the class has a lot to do with what we call counter counter conditioning, teaching a dog that something that is scary actually is okay. And, and it's about, you know, changing their the underlying emotion. So rather than addressing, you know, uh, specifically the pulling or the barking, it's thinking about, well, what's causing the pulling or the barking and, and you know, generally speaking, it's fear. So we're working on how we can change that underlying emotion in tandem with giving the dog owners skills that they can implement to make sure that their dog um, has the best chance of succeeding in a stressful situation. I mean, what's like the actual choreography that you can do on the street with a leash and your dog to help your dog, um, you know, not not go into total freak out mode. So. You know, there there's a lot there, and I would suggest anybody who is, um, you know, dealing with any kind of like what we call reactivity on the street, get help sooner rather than later, because you don't want to be, um, you know, you don't want to be caught off guard in a bad situation with your dog um, freaking out, whether it's because of another dog on the street or, you know, a bunch of kids on on uh, scooters going by the dog, you know, we have dogs, definitely have dogs who freak out about skateboards and scooters and that kind of thing. Um, you want to have those tools uh, like in your back pocket um, before it's a problem. So I would definitely suggest reaching out to a trainer doing some research. Um, that said, um, I think it's really important that people speak up for their dogs on the street and say, hey, you know, my dog's not comfortable around other dogs or my dog doesn't want to be pet by you know the the group of schoolgirls who are coming towards us um i uh i think you know it's it's such a simple thing <laughs> but we have the power to control others by telling them hey basically go away and i mean i'll even go so far as to make something up you know my dog has glaucoma don't come near or something something that just is enough to make people say like oh okay you know rather than someone who's going to say oh it's fine i grew up with dogs um we even sell actually in our in our shop we sell uh leash sleeves that say um give me space that you can put on your leash to kind of advertise hey you know I, my dog does not want you know your dog or other people around um uh, we also, you know, we've had clients who've taught their dogs to wear muzzles, um, even though the dog might not have uh, a history of aggression, uh, simply because a, a cute, fuzzy, adorable, you know, five pound dog with a muscle with a muzzle on is um, a lot less likely to get bum rushed by people who want to come say hi to the dog. And, uh, you know, that can ke help keep everyone um, safer. Uh, I also think it's really important um, to introduce your dog to things that are potentially stressful uh, as incrementally as possible. Um, you know, we talk a lot about shaping 
when when we're talking about you know good dog training how can we um, raise criteria uh, incrementally uh, so that a dog is always succeeding so a dog is always an a minus a student um, that we're not pushing them beyond their limits and um, as far as introducing a dog to like the city streets that might mean taking your dog out for very very short walks um, and that's something I suggest to puppy owners often when they're when they're first getting their puppies used to to um, taking walks on the street of New York City I'd much rather a dog go out for lots of quick easy pleasant walks than uh, than a dog go out for you know marathon walks a few times a day because you you want to um, you want them to sort of get, just get these like little teaspoon tastes of what it's like rather than bombarding them and you want each walk to be a success um, so short quick pleasant walks bring lots of treats bring food um, for some dogs you might not even be able to get outside right away um, you know it might be uh, the, the the best step might be introdu introducing your dog to the crazy urban environment um, by simply hanging out maybe like in the foyer or lobby of your building or even like on your front stoop um, where it's sort of a, an in-between place, right? It's not quite the craziness of outside and it's not quite the craziness of home. Um, sometimes I'll suggest people bring their dog's meals into uh, one of those sort of in-between places so your dog can at least sort of start to create some good associations you know when a dog is when a dog is eating first of all it's a good sign because if a dog is too stressed out they're often not going to eat right so if your dog is too stressed out to eat then you have some information there like that you need to like take things down a notch um, but usually when a dog is eating a dog is creating good associations and you know I always say most dogs are just creating good associations with like you know leaning over a bowl on the kitchen floor <laughs> whereas we could use that same bowl of food to slowly try and help your dog learn you know actually oh the the the, the stoop of the building is a of this of our, of our home is actually also an okay place or this you know street corner this park bench is actually also an okay place um that might mean having to be creative about your dog's uh pottying habits um you know, we I, I we have a, a one of our trainers on our staff has a dog who has pretty extreme urban anxiety, um, and uh, and in the process of dealing it with it, one thing that they've done is to teach their dog to potty on a wee wee pad inside, so that they they as the dog owners aren't having to drag their dog out. Um, you know, three, four times a day to go outside, they've, they've sort of created an indoor option, um, which means that they can take walks outside that are truly training walks, uh, rather than sort of necessity um, pottying walks. Um, likewise, if you have an outdoor space in your home, um, and your dog is tending to uh, do their business out there, and you live in an urban environment, I think it's really important to still make sure that you're taking your dog out for walks um, at least once a day um, because there will be times when you want your dog out on the street and whether it's a puppy or a dog who has not lived in a city before and you're trying to teach them about city life um, you know it'll give you the opportunity to to start socializing your dog to to the south si sorry the the sights and sounds of of urban living 
Um, also a great idea to walk your dog uh, at times of day that aren't as, as uh, peaceful as possible. Um, or even if you have a smaller dog, carrying your dog out to uh, places near you that are, you know, as uh, le the least chaotic places uh, that you can find if you live on a very busy street. Um, I think it's it's often a good idea, especially with small dogs, to, to have a dog who can be trained to go into a bag um, so that you can bring your dog places and uh, your dog can feel uh, sort of safe and protected in that bag while you're holding them um, rather than having to, you know, drag your dog um, to to a chiller spot. That's awesome, Annie. And, okay, Annie, like, obviously the last year and a half, like, with COVID around the world, the pandemic has been very tough on all businesses. Are you somewhat getting back to normal life over there now, or...? Yeah, yeah, I mean, f fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, we, we had to close our facility for a few months, um, you know, and there was certainly a while where we weren't really, you know, going into clients' houses. Um, but yeah, things are starting to go back to normal, I would say. Um, but, you know, one, one nice thing uh, about this period, um, at least, has been that uh, we've attracted clients from all over the world because we put more and more of our offerings online. Um, so that's been a that's been a really a really uh, you know nice silver lining um, because so much of what we do as dog trainers uh, does not involve touching a dog. Um, Certainly, uh, there are benefits of having someone in the room with you when you're working with your dog, but there are also situations where it can be quite beneficial to have someone coaching you that is not present. You know, if you have a fearful dog, for instance, bringing a new person into the house might be a stressor. Um, and uh, so I, I think being able to um, do more and more virtual sessions has been uh, has been a, a boon, um, and um, I, I think that we will we will continue continue. Which is something that you know can only really exist online, um, and uh, I'm excited about that too because it gives people a way to do dog training. Um, on their own schedule, it's more than you're going to get from reading a book, uh, and uh, but it's something that you know people can do on their own on their own time. So you know, late late at night, early in the morning, at hours when you know we as professional dog trainers maybe aren't available. Brilliant, Annie. And Annie, if anyone wants to listen into the podcast, uh, the School for the Dogs podcast, where's the best place to find us? You can find School for the Dogs podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And um, I'd also love to mention I have a, a free master class I put together. It's about an hour long. Uh, it gives a lot of information on um, how to kind of understand what reward-based, science-based dog training is. Um, and that can be found at anniegrossman.com slash masterclass. Um, but yeah, I, I would love if your listeners would check out the podcast. Um, we've done 
gosh, I think like 170 episodes. And um, there's just so much information there. Um, you know, all of it completely free. And um, like I said, my goal is just to sort of get get people excited about dog training in the same way that I'm excited about dog training. Exactly. Um, and and yeah. I, I myself have actually started listening to the podcast there only there in the last week. Absolutely loving it. And I'll be sure to recommend it to all our followers on social media as well. Oh, thank you Listen, so much. Annie, it's, thank it's thank the... you so much for joining me on the Big Bear today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and I hope to have you on again in the future. And oh well, I would brilliant. love that. So that's all we have time for today, folks. Uh, next week we are inviting back on a guest who was with us previously, and that is Pete Weatherburn, uh, also known as a celebrity vet over here in Ireland. So we'll be uh, meeting with Pete. Very excited to meet with Pete face to face this week, and it's great to actually get the face to face stuff going back again after these numerous lockdowns that we've had. Uh, if you want to find us, you know where we are We're on social media on the Big Bear Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and on Spot on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And be sure also while you're on Spotify and iTunes, check out the School for the Dogs podcast. And thanks again, Annie, for joining us today. The Big Bark Listen Up Dog Owners is for you, all you canine lovers. It's your favorite podcast, The Big Bark, with your host, Dara Burke, and canine co-hosts, Bruno and Millie. The Big Bark. Two brand new tickets are making their presence felt in D.C., from U Street to downtown, from Adams Morgan to Anacostia. Introducing the District Diamonds and 51st Scratchers from DC Lottery. Inspired by the district, made for the district, with prizes up to $151,000. Grab them today from your local DC Lottery retailer. Because here in DC, this is how we play. Please play responsibly. 